0: Well, we are in our final week of our series in Proverbs. And this morning, we are going to conclude by considering wisdom for work and wealth. So our work and our wealth are significant parts of our life. Most of you, tomorrow morning, you're going to get up and you're going to leave your house and start your work week. For some of you, your week is going to involve work in your home. Others of you, you're in school to study, to get a degree so you can work as a, big, as a significant part of your life. Have you ever tried to go through your week without talking about work? Like, like trying to have a conversation with your friends and don't talk about work at all. How much of our time, how much of our energy is spent around work? The same thing with wealth. How many actions do you undertake in a day, in a week, in a month that involves spending money? What's the longest you've gone without having to spend money? Could, could you get away with not thinking or talking about money? All of that shows work and wealth are significant parts of our life, inescapable parts of our lives. Now, I, I've preached a couple sermons, I think two, since we've planted two and a half years ago on work. And I think I've done one or two on money. But this is something we need to regularly come back to because of the significance of work and wealth. And so I don't care if you're a CEO or if you're entry level, if you're in business or you're a banker or you're in the military or you're a teacher or you're a pastor or you're a truck driver or a waiter, a waitress, software engineer, full-time, part-time, I don't care. Work at home, you need wisdom for your work. And also, it doesn't matter if you're slobbering wealthy, making it rain, or whether you are living paycheck to paycheck. You need wisdom for your money. And that's why I want us to look into God's word in Proverbs and have our hearts shaped around how and why we work and how and why we spend our wealth. And here's the big idea that I want to shape us regarding work and wealth. The wise person works hard for the glory of God and gives generously for the good of others. So the wise person works hard for the glory of God and gives generously for the good of others. So let's first consider what it means to apply wisdom to working hard. Let me ask this question. What's your work ethic like? Are you a hard worker? Are you committed to your work? Because here's what wisdom calls out to us. It says work hard. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. You want to know what a good work ethic is? Look at the ant. Like, you know those things that crawl around on your floor that you try to get rid of? Take a look at them. The ant shows us what a good work ethic is because an ant doesn't need a boss to work hard. An ant doesn't need someone overlooking them to work hard. The ant is internally motivated. The ant knows, I have to work hard if I am going to thrive and if I am going to flourish, if my colony is going to thrive and flourish. She's internally driven. The ant knows that work is necessary and work is noble. Hard work is necessary noble. And we see this when we go back to the beginning in Genesis when God gives Adam and Eve work. So he creates Adam and Eve and he gives them a job. He says, here is my creation and I want you to work it. I want you to cultivate it. I want you to develop it. You see, God didn't develop and cultivate his creation by himself. Adam and Eve didn't just sit on a log and watch God do his thing. No, God invited Adam and Eve into his work. Join me in cultivating and developing my creation. And so he gave them a job. Work is necessary. And work is also noble because within this work of cultivating and developing creation, Adam and Eve were putting on display the glory and goodness of God. You see, as they worked and cultivated and developed creation, more and more of God's goodness was put on display and more and more flourishing took place. So work is necessary, but work is also noble. And so we, see, we should see work as a gift, a gift from the Lord, a gift and a privilege to care for and steward the creation God gave us. And you understand, your job is a continuation of this. Your job is cultivating the garden, so to speak. God has handed you a piece of creation, and he said, care for this. Tend it, work it, cultivate it, develop it. This is noble and this is good. And so does your work ethic show that you honor the necessity and nobility of work? Do you faithfully embrace hard work? Do you see work as an opportunity to put the goodness and glory and greatness of God on display? Do you see hard work as an opportunity for you and your family and your friends and your city and your world to flourish? Do you value hard work? Wisdom calls you to value hard work, no matter what your job may be. Do you value hard work, or do you look for ways to avoid it? Because here's our problem: sin is into the picture. Because of sin, our work is shot through with difficulty and failure. Yes, work is still inherently good. Yes, there is productivity and flourishing and success in work. But it's also broken, and it's frustrating, and it's hard. God told Adam and Eve, as a result of your sin, you're going to face turmoil and trial in your work. And because of our sin, we like to disconnect and even rebel against the necessity of hard work. You see, we've grown cold and indifferent to the glory of God, and so it affects our work ethic. Like I don't want to have to work hard for things. I, I feel entitled. Like, I, I just want these things to come easy for me. I want these things to be handed to me because I'm entitled to them. And so we get lazy and we slack off. We want greater reward for less efforts. We want our own control and comfort, so we look for ways to cut corners, minimize. I mean, how many of you that work, how many times a day does the thought go through your mind? How can I get away with doing less? Like, how can I sort of just hit the minimum and still be successful? Can we be honest? Is that not a real temptation for us? Oh, the threat of our work ethic is real. But here's what Proverbs tells us. Like slacking in work is never a path of wisdom. Slacking in work is never going to result in thriving and flourishing. That whole mindset of C's get degrees. That is not what wisdom calls us to. In contrast to the faithfulness of the ant, Proverbs 6, 9 through 11 says this. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Your laziness, your slacking, your lack of effort will end in lack. It will end in poverty. It will not end in flourishing for you and for your family and for your friends and for your city and for your world. Don't expect good things from a poor work ethic. If you brag about getting away with little and still being successful, maybe your material success is real, but you are not walking in wisdom. Hear the voice of wisdom calling to you, warning you. You should work hard so that you and your family can flourish. As Proverbs 10, 4 through 5 and 15 tells us, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is the ruins. Like one of the benefits of working hard is material wealth, is material comforts. Like working hard to provide for those that you are responsible for is a good thing. It is good to provide a sense of uh, security, And stability for people through your hard work. God has ordered that our work in the physical world will reap benefits. You plant a seed, you sow a crop. You work a job, you get a wage. You invest and you get a return. These are good and right things. And so wealth and hard work can provide the stability and security that is good and necessary. A roof over your head, food on the table, clothes on your back, being able to pay the bills being able to meet needs, having enough in reserves for when an emergency hits. We should work for these things. We should care about those things. Poverty and instability that is born out of lack of a work ethic brings ruin to you and ruin to those around you. Ah, Wisdom calls you to work hard. Wisdom calls you to care for people. Because to slack off in work shows not only a lack of wisdom, but a lack of love. It shows a lack of love for God and his glory, but it also shows a lack of love for your family and those that are dependent upon you. Oh, show love, show wisdom by working hard. So let me, let me press here for a second. Are you and your family, are you suffering because of your lack of hard work? Can we be honest for a moment? Can you just be honest about the result of your work. Are you and your family suffering because of your lack of hard work? Whether you work inside the home or outside the home, are you working hard so that your family is provided for and can flourish? Or are they suffering because you lack a work ethic? Is your employer and your coworkers, are they thriving? Are they flourishing because you work hard? Or are they suffering because you lack a work ethic? Let me ask this when you aren't praised for a job well done, when nobody notices you, do you back off? Do, do, do you withhold effort because you're not getting the praise you think you deserve? Do you justify laziness and a lack of productivity because you're cynical about your boss and your coworkers, how they treat you? Do you deem certain work beneath you? Do you slack off because, you know, this job, I'm above this job. I have too much education for this job, or I'm too good for this job. Here's what the Lord would say to you. Do you recognize that there is not a square inch of creation that God doesn't declare, this is mine? And there's not a square inch of creation that he doesn't care about. No piece of his creation is insignificant if he cares about the little sparrow. He cares about all of it. And so that little piece of creation that you think you're too big for, that is too insignificant for you, the God of the universe loves and cares about. So there's no job that is beneath you. There's no piece of creation that is beneath you. God has entrusted that to you and said, care for it because I care for it. Cultivate it. In it holds the potential to put the goodness and glory of God on display. And so we, we should work hard no matter our job. Wisdom calls you to work hard. Love calls you to work hard. And so honor the necessity and nobility of hard work. At the same time, there are some of you in here, this is not your problem. Oh, you work really hard. You're a hard worker. But the reason you work hard has gone sideways. Your motivation for working hard is not the goodness and the glory of God and his kingdom. It's your own kingdom. It's your own status. It's your own security. It's your own comfort. As Eric pointed to this morning, we like to run after these things in our own strength and our own power. You see, when God gave work to Adam and Eve, he put it in its right priority. They worked from an identity, not for an identity. Do you understand the difference? They worked from an identity. They were made in the image of God, meant to reflect God in his character. They didn't work to gain an identity. And so our work is intended to flow from our identity. It's not intended to give us an identity. And this is where we go sideways when we start to work for our identity. Because we have the problem of sin. Instead of working out of the identity God has given us, we're now bent and broken to chase after these things on our own. And so we will bust our rears We will work and work and overwork to build our own kingdoms. We will bust our rears to build our own sense of security, our own status. Some of you, you have no problem putting in 80 hours a week so that you can feel stable. And so you don't lack a work ethic. You work hard, but you work hard for the wrong reasons. It's not motivated by the glory and goodness of God. It's not motivated for the flourishing of others. If you work hard, it's about you. And here's what wisdom would tell you in Proverbs. Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. Do not toil. Literally, this says, do not wear yourself out for wealth. Because it's going to fly away it's not going to last. It's going to break down. The things that you chase after, cars and houses and bank accounts and toys, things, all of that is going to fall apart. It's as if a bird comes and just, boom, gone. And so don't wear yourself out for things that do not last. Now you're probably thinking well wait a minute I thought you just said it's good to work for security and stability yes but there is a massive difference between working for those things from your identity rather than working for those things for an identity and here's how you know the difference right here in Proverbs you're discerning enough to desist you're discerning enough to desist you know when enough is enough You know when to put the brakes on. You know the difference between hard work for the glory of God and the good of others and when you're working hard for your own identity. Be discerning enough to desist. Are you able to recognize that wealth and comfort and status built with your own hands are fleeting, that they'll sprout wings and fly away, and you're able to say, all right, I'm done. Enough work, enough toiling. If I keep going after these things, I'm only going to bring harm, so I'm going to stop because my identity is not in these things. Are you discerning enough to desist? Are you able to stop? Are you able to rest? Are you able to rest? Do you take time off? Do you take a weekly day of rest? Or are you like the 40% of Americans who never take a day off. Blows my mind. 40%, and it's probably higher because some people don't want to admit it. Never take a day off. Are you able to rest? Are you able to say, Lord, my identity is in you, not in my work. And so I don't have to keep going, and I don't have to keep grinding, and I don't have to keep toiling. I can stop and rest in you. Are you able to to desist some of you you are going to celebrate your work ethic but it isn't wisdom and godliness and be honest about that if you celebrate your work ethic you need to ask your question what are you working for if you are toiling and wearing yourself out for an identity that makes you feel accepted and acceptable to others if you're toiling for a sense of security built on wealth and houses and cars and possessions let me ask is that life to you are are you happy and joyful Are, are you satisfied deeply and truly in that like is there real contentment in the midst of all that toil and laboring Do you desist? Do you rest? Not only do you rest, but can you desist so that you can invest in things that last and things that truly matter? Can you invest in eternal things? People, the kingdom of God. Do you desist in your pursuing material possessions and identity so that you can chase after things that truly will bring lasting value? The great American poet Edgar Guest wrote an article about parenting. And in this article, he's contrasting these great businessmen with their ability in business and being fathers. And he talks about, hey, there's these guys that are so wise when it comes to work, so wise with their wealth. They, they're excellent businessmen. But when it comes to being fathers, it comes to investing in their kids and in their family, they're absolute failures, and as he's reflecting on it, he has this great line. He says that there would be less of me in my bank accounts and more of me, the best of me, in my son. What a powerful sentence. That there would be less of me in my work and less of me in my bank account and more of me in my kids, in my son, in my daughter, in my wife, in my friends, in those who don't know Christ, in those who I'm discipling. Less of me in my work and in my bank account, and more of me, the best of me and them. What a testimony. Can you desist in your work so that you can give the best of you and that there is more of you in eternal things? Wisdom calls you to work from an identity, not for an identity. And when your identity is rooted in Christ, you're going to experience the freedom to desist, you're going to experience the freedom to rest. You're going to experience the freedom to be able to give yourself to people and things that are eternal. Here's another way that we know that we're working from our identity rather than for an identity how we spend our money. Oh, do you spend your money to earn the money that you earn on creating your own security and stability? Do you spend your wealth so that you can build an identity? Or do you find those things in Christ which frees you to be able to spend the wealth God has given you for eternal things, for his kingdom? See, wisdom leads us to freedom with our wealth, freedom with our money. Here's what Proverbs fifteen six tells us. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. How do you experience your money? Like, is your money a source of angst for you? Is it a source of stress for you? When you think about your bank account, you think about the money you had, you're just like, ugh. Or is there real freedom? Because wisdom tells us that to walk in the ways of righteousness with our money leads to freedom. Like walking in wisdom is going to not mean that you're angsty about your wealth, but experiencing freedom. And so let me, let me ask this at the risk of stepping on some toes. How much has your chasing after comfort and status and security, how much have you spent in order to build an identity so you feel accepted and acceptable? How how much debt has that put you in? Like how much of a hole have you dug in order to sort of try to keep up? I'm not here to put shame on you. I'm asking for you to reflect. Because in the midst of that, something is being spoken loud and clear. Wisdom wants you to reflect and see something in this. That when, when we spend in order to gain an identity, we put ourselves in positions that are dangerous. We put ourselves in positions where we don't flourish, but we're enslaved. This is what Proverbs 22-7 tells us. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Like all of that debt enslaves you all of that debt puts you in a vulnerable position like this isn't to say that you can't ever borrow money this isn't to say that having a credit card is bad i know some of you hardcore dave ramsey people you don't have credit cards awesome but this is not inherently evil but you have to ask the question is the debt worth it is the debt building something eternal for you I was, I was looking up some statistics, and I saw that a, a recent study found that the average American household is $15,482 in credit card debts, and the same survey said that 41% of U.S. households cite unnecessary spending on items that they don't need as the number one cause. And I wonder, too, if, if some people would say, well, it's a needed item, but what they spent their money on actually was probably more than they needed Like, it's good to have a house, but did you buy a bigger house than you really could afford? It's it's good to have a car, but did you pay for a car that you probably couldn't afford? And all of that debt, all of that toiling, all that spending in order to grab an identity, oh, that's not wisdom. That's not freedom. That's not the flourishing that God wants for you. That is not what having an identity in Christ leads you to. Wisdom calls you to something better. Wisdom calls you out of such spending. At the same time, you need to be careful, those of you who are tight fisted and stingy and wise with your spending. Just because you are conservative and don't spend extravagantly doesn't mean that you're spending for the kingdom of God. You need to be careful that your wisdom in your finances is more about you trying to just kind of build this nice little kingdom of comfort for yourself. Because here's what Proverbs 28:11 says to you. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who's understanding will find him out. Be careful, your wealth will deceive you. Your wealth has a way of making you think you're better off than you are. And it's very easy to equate financial success with wisdom. It's very easy to equate financial success with godliness. But that wealth will deceive you. Ask yourself, are you spending, driven by a big view of the kingdom of God, or because that is your security. Proverbs 11, 4, 7, and 28 say this, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 7. The man who trusts in his wealth is like a man who builds a house on sand. And when storms and circumstances come, it washes it away. And if you're building your hope in your 401k, and your bank account, and your house, in your possessions, guess what? All of that will be wiped away. On the day of judgment, there'll be a reckoning. You will, will stand before God, and all of that false sense of security will be wiped away. Jesus says the wise man builds a house on a rock Builds a house on him, something that will stand and endure. That will stand and endure trials and circumstances. That will endure no matter what happens in life because you will be standing on an eternal kingdom and a resurrected and reigning savior. Wisdom leads you to something greater than hoarding for your own kingdom. And so we need to ask... Is our heart gripped by the treasure of Christ? Is our heart grabbed by the glory of Christ? And if you're struggling, it feels like work and wealth are the things that most have your heart. Can I remind you of the gospel this morning? Can I remind you of the treasure that is in Jesus Christ? Because here's the truth. Though you and I are rebellious sinners, though you and I spend time in using people and spend time building our own kingdoms and our own identities made out of sand, hoarding around us things that are just going to rust and fall apart, though we have become hostile to the kingdom of God and his glory and his goodness, though we deserve judgment, though we deserve the, the misery that we have put ourselves in, Jesus Christ steps from heaven. He steps from heaven and he clothes himself in flesh and walks among us as a man. And he loves us and he serves and he steps into all the brokenness and the decay and the sickness and the disease. And he loves and he serves and he brings healing and he brings righteousness and he brings flourishing. Oh, he confronts evil. He stares down wicked rulers. He, he steps into this world and walks perfectly righteous for you and for me. And then he offers himself freely for you. He's nailed to a cross for your sin and for mine. He perfectly satisfies God's justice and His wrath, showing that God is a God of love who has not left us to our sin. And then Jesus rises; He's a resurrected and reigning King. He ascends into heaven as a glorious ruler, and He pours out His Spirit on you so you can walk in freedom. There's your hope. There's your identity. There's your righteousness. There's your power. There is the kingdom that is worth investing in. There's a kingdom that's worth giving your life to. There's a kingdom that will last. And so let's not, whether explicitly or, or just functionally, fall for the lie of the prosperity gospel. Here, here's what I mean Proverbs 3. This is what Proverbs 3 says to us Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Like, honor the Lord with your wealth. We're called to honor the Lord with our wealth. There's something greater to our wealth than just building stability for ourselves. We honor the Lord with our wealth because we treasure Jesus Christ. And in this verse, we can see a promise. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Very easy to read that and go, wow, if I honor the Lord with my wealth, he's going to give me a bunch of more stuff. As if Jesus were that cheap. As if Jesus were saying, hey, invest in my eternal kingdom so I can give you a bunch of stuff that's just going to pass away. Come on, Jesus is not a dollar store peddler. He, He wants you to invest in something real because he has something greater for you. Something eternal, something lasting. Like, who cares about my bank account when Jesus is my treasure? Like, who cares about my 401k when the city that awaits for me has streets that are so pure gold that they're like glass? Who cares about my house when Jesus is building for me an eternal mansion? Like, let's not fall for the trap of the prosperity gospel. And you might say, well, I don't believe the prosperity gospel, but you might functionally live that way. Oh, Jesus holds something so much greater out for you, a greater freedom, a greater hope, a greater treasure. Oh, let's give our lives for that, and let our giving, let our spending be reflective of that hope. And here's what Proverbs says for those who have built themselves in this hope. One gives freely, yet another gr- yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. When your treasure is in Christ, when your hope is in Christ, When you're satisfied in Christ, it frees you to be generous. It it frees you to be generous. It frees you to invest in things that are going to last. Are you generous? Are you generous? Consider the difference between trying to build your own identity and and trying to build a sense of status and comfort in things that are going to pass away versus pouring out your money to see that people would know Jesus. Jesus. That, that people would come to know Christ and be discipled, that those who are in need would be loved and cared for, those who are in, in maybe vulnerable and weak would be loved and cared for. Like giving your money to, to people and to causes that glorify God in this world that people might know Jesus. That's lasting. That, that reflects the heart of God because you realize God is generous. His generosity overflows to everyone. Everyone. And so when we're set free from building our own kingdom and chasing after our own identity, oh, we're free to be generous. We're free to give to things that are going to last. That is the great hope of the gospel. That is the wisdom that Proverbs holds out for us. And so church, let us work and spend out of our identity. Let us walk in freedom. Let us walk in wisdom in our work and in our wealth. And look, this morning, if if you long... For this freedom, if you long to be able to, to work in this way and, and to give this way, but you're saying, hey, I, I am racked with financial debt. I have made poor decisions, and I don't know how to get out of this. Please let me know, or Pastor Paul know, or, or, or a gospel community leader know. Like, look, there are people in this church who would like nothing more than to love you and help you in that. Not just in the practicals, but then in discipling your heart in greater joy and identity in Christ so you can walk in freedom. Church, let's do this together. We're building a culture together. Let's commit together to be shaped by wisdom so we can work hard for the glory of God and give generously for the good of others. Amen? Let's pray.